My name's Sai. I'm one of the, the leaders here. And it's uh, great to see you uh, here amongst us this morning. If you're a guest here, remember at the end of the service, there's a welcome zone at the back. Please make your way there to the back. It'll be uh, great to get to know you a bit better. How many of you are enjoying the Winter Olympics? Yeah, there's a few hands. Oh, lots of hands going up. That's, that's great. So, you know, it's absolutely incredible what people can do when they devote themselves to a particular sport. And those stunts that they do that just make it look so uh, easy. I've got a few. Oh, one picture of, uh, of Chloe Kim uh, doing a, a something uh, on, a, on a snowboard. Those stunts that they do that make it, so, it look so easy actually take hours and hours of devoted time to do it. Likewise, in the Six Nations, I was going to ask who's enjoying that, but uh, yes, we're not so much enjoying it this morning. But rugby is a sport that takes hours and hours of uh, devotion to it, where you're looking to improve your strength, your stamina, your own skill. But much more than that, it's actually a team sport. And so you have to play as a team and think as a team. And if you get an individual that starts just thinking about themselves or getting a bit big for their own, own boots, actually, the whole team ends up suffering and uh, can, uh, can lose a match. Well, today, as we look at Joshua and we continue in the book of Joshua, we're going to see how God has called us to be totally devoted to Jesus and how a key part of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and in my life it, uh, is to transform us and to make us devoted to Jesus. And the way he does that primarily is by dealing with our sin and by looking to produce obedience in us as, uh, as God's people. So let's, let's read part of uh, Joshua 7. We're actually looking at Joshua 7 and 8 today, I'll, uh, and I'll, I'll read bits of them. I won't read all of them because uh, there's a lot of verses there. But I'm actually just going to start by reminding us of two verses from chapter 6, which Joshua said to the Israelites just before they went into Jericho. Verse 18 of chapter 6. But you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted for destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, i.e. don't touch them. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. I'm now going to chapter 7. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent some men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Don't make the whole people at all up there, for there they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men 
and chased them before the gates as far as Shebrin and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their head. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought us this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will, and what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, and he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his, house, his, uh, near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken." Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give, him pra- and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 2,000 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Off the back of great victory, this sin sneaks in with devastating consequences for the people of Israel. My friends, you need to be aware that often off the back of great victory. The devil is waiting there to tempt you. He's waiting for an opportune time to tempt you. And your sinful nature is all too keen to 
give in to that if you allow it. You know, Billy Graham, who went to be with the Lord this week, who we all would celebrate and rejoice in his life, he knew the power of sin, and he would say this, that there is no sin that he, know, that he knew that he could not fall into within five minutes of leaving the stage. And since he knew the danger of the power of sin that was there, we can all celebrate a lifelong ministry where there was no scandal, where there was no major slip-ups because he never allowed the flesh that opportunity. My friends, it's a sad truth that often off the back of victories, corporate and personal, sin can so easily sneak in due to our pride and due to our weakness. 1 Corinthians 10 warns us, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Achan, after risking his life in the pursuit of God's purposes, does exactly what Joshua told him not to do. And he makes Israel a thing for destruction, just as Joshua said would happen. The spies go out with fresh faith, to, and they, uh, they look at AI, they've got faith, uh, yes, in God, but it would also just appear in themselves now as well, and uh, they're sort of presuming on God. And Joshua and the leaders themselves would seem to presume on God too, as there's no mention of them seeking the Lord until after the defeat. Three companies of 1,000 men go up. That's why I said 2,000 or 3,000. A a, a unit, if you like, was 1,000 men. So three units go up and 36 men die as uh, they go up and attack Ahai, representing three times 12, 12 being complete, complete defeat of each unit. And the result is the despair in Israel. And Joshua's prayer is one of misguided desperation as well as he, as he comes to God. I'll move on in a, in a minute to deal with Achan's sin, but I just want to highlight Israel's part because there was a lot of presumption going on here that God would be with them. But there's no reference to them seeking God until after the defeat. Quite likely, this whole event could have been avoided had they gone and sought the Lord. How often is that true of you, my friends? And is that true of me as well? We presume on God's general blessing in our lives. And we go about doing what we want, job-wise, hobby-wise, house-wise, all those sorts of things. And we only go to God when something goes wrong. And like Joshua, we go to to, to God with a sense of, God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? What, what, what's going on here? You know, the Bible says in the book of Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion, that's what Achan did, is as a sin of divination. But it goes on to say this, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. It's not just about deliberate, the deliberate sin of rebellion against God's word. But, you know, there's a subtle arrogance that, uh, that flows. Uh, that, uh, there's a subtle arrogance of presumption that flows straight out of the Garden of Eden with that lie, you will be like God 
rather than depending your life upon God. The Apostle James picks up the same thing in James chapter 4, where he tells people that uh, basically those people that are planning their lives, going about their business, and just hoping that God bless them without seeking him, he sums up that approach to life as this. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. My friends, do not presume on God. Depend on him instead. Do less. Pray more. Don't make big decisions in your life until you've had time to pray about it and get spiritually mature people around you to join with you and pray as well. Listen to your conscience. If something doesn't sit right with you and you're not sure why, hold off on making that decision until you've had time to pray about it and assess your conscience. Pray daily for God's general leading in your life and the day-to-day things in life. You know, seeking God in prayer is a sign of wisdom and humility as you are recognizing, God, I don't know everything, but you do. And therefore, I'm coming to you because you know everything. As we seek God through prayer and the Bible, it is the best sat-nav for life. We all, all of us rely on sat-navs, or most of us do. I certainly do, being new to this area. And, and with no signposts around for Helsham. You know, I can remember getting lost as I went down to Pevensey on the way back. Like, where's Helsham? There's no signpost to Helsham to get back. Thankfully, all, most phones have sat-nav on, and that, that directs you. Seeking God through prayer and the Bible is the best sat-nav for life. So deal with the sin of presumption and you will spare your life a lot of trouble as you go on. Anyway, let's look at Achan's sin that caused the people of God to come under judgment. Now, Achan brought himself and his family under the judgment that was meant for the people that God was judging in the land by taking stuff that didn't belong to him. The fact that those goods were hidden in his tent meant that his family would have known what happened and they saying silent meant that it enabled his sin to, to continue. Thus, they're all given the, the, the drastic measure of being put to death accordingly. My friends, this is a graphic picture of the seriousness of sin. Things that the Bible calls wrong are wrong because they go against the nature They go against the character and they go against the command of God. Sin takes something that belongs to God and makes it belong to somebody else. Normally ourselves, as as in, in this account here. Sin leads to separation from God and God is the giver of life. God is the, is the one who gives everything that is good. And so as we're separated from him, we're deprived of those things. It leads to, the, to our destruction and it has an impact on those around us. You see, God is completely holy. God is totally pure. He's always consistent and he's continually good. Therefore, he cannot ever allow sin in his presence before him. And thus he has to send sin out of his presence and the sinner with him, uh, with that sin as well. 
Because God, and as I said, because God is the sustainer of life, outside of his presence, it only leads to death itself. But also, because God is in charge, God is over everything, he's responsible for everything, he has to judge every action that happens on earth as well. So sin leads us under God's judgment as well, as Achan uh, found out in this passage quite dramatically. You see, it's, 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 a, it's a sobering truth. But actually, it's also a comforting truth because it means that all those people that have used and abused you, all those terrible things that you see on the news where, and people just seem to get away with uh, those things that they, they've done, actually, the Bible says, no, God will hold everybody accountable for their actions and he will bring justice. But the thing is, all of us, the Bible makes clear, all of us have broken God's commands. We all come under his judgment with no hope of ever getting ourselves right before God by ourselves. There's no self-help guide, according to the Bible, to getting right with God. But there is a way that we can get right with the living God. Because God loves us, he made a way through becoming a man, the man Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect life. He never succumbed to any of the temptations. He was always fully obedient to God, devoted his whole life to pursuing the purposes of of God, even though it meant to going all the way to the cross to die a criminal's death so that you and I could be forgiven. On that cross, God's judgment, God's wrath against sin is poured out on Jesus' perfect life so that the moment someone puts their faith in him, the moment someone turns to Jesus and asks for his forgiveness, can receive forgiveness from God. His sins, or your sins, or my sins, get placed on Jesus. And Jesus takes the punishment for them. And we get to receive his righteous life, his goodness. It gets accredited to us. That's the only way the Bible makes clear for anybody to get right with God. And that is actually how serious God is about sin as well. It sent Jesus to the cross. My friends, if you haven't given your life to Jesus this morning, you need to. The Apostle Paul says this, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. It's the only way to deal with our sin and to come out from under God's judgment of your life and my life. Thanks to the cross, this side of eternity, we have a way to get right with God. But that way will cease either the moment we die or Jesus returns. But there's grace available to us today. And if you haven't made advantage of that grace, can I encourage you this morning to make that opportunity and I'll give you an opportunity at the end. But for the majority of us here, we've, we've taken advantage of what Jesus has done. We've taken this opportunity. And passages like this, these passages that are, are hard sometimes for us to read, they stand as a warning to not 
to treat sin lightly in our lives. Christ died in our place. He who had no sin became sin to reconcile you and me to God. Hallelujah. My friends, we serve a God who is holy. He's a consuming fire, the Bible says, and his anger burns red hot against all the sin and the wickedness that he sees in this world. Hatred, envy, violence, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, jealousies. God's anger burns hot against all these things. And we, his people, show ourselves to be his people by trying to live for him. Yes, we all fail, because it's not just talking about what we do, it's talking about what we say and what we think as well. And we all fail. 1 John makes this very clear as he's writing to Christians. He says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But my friends, do not be deceived. God is a consuming fire. And you're in a dangerous place if you're here this morning as a believer and you're deliberately choosing to continue in a sinful lifestyle or a sinful pattern, particularly as you gather with the saints of God. It's stories like these that serve as a clear warning to us. There's other stories as well, like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Others may not know about your sin, just like in Joshua 7 that I just read, but God sees and he knows all. He knows everything and he's a holy God And his people, we, his people, need to strive for holiness with all the power that he so graciously gives us to live holy lives. We're called not to mess about with the things of this world. The writer of the Hebrews puts it very strongly as he's writing to Christians and he says this, um, the Christians who are messing around with sin, the Lord will judge his people It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. My friends, sin is serious. And because of Jesus, those who are truly Christians, we can have the joy of knowing, yes, our salvation is secured because of what Jesus has done on the cross. But our our life's works, what we do with our lives, will be judged by God. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3. Fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on uh, on the foundation survives, the foundation is is Jesus Christ when, when you become a Christian, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. My friends, sin is serious. We have to put it to death in our own lives. And Joshua 7 graphically shows us that the effect of sin doesn't only just affect our own lives. It affects the lives of those around us, particularly our nearest and dearest. There's grace here 
this morning to deal with sin. We serve a graceful God, a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy towards you and towards me. And that's the things we can rejoice in. But my friends, we need to get serious with dealing with our sin. And if you're here today, don't let there be an area of your life where there's hidden sin that you think, oh, I can go on living like that. No one here knows. God knows. And God is the judge. My friends, you're playing with fire if you're here today and you're dabbling in sin and you're choosing a sinful lifestyle whilst trying to live for Jesus. And I can tell you, fire really hurts when it burns you. Final point to make on, on, uh, on this uh, sin of, of Achan before we move on is, do you notice the temptation that Achan succumbed to here? It was the trappings of wealth that led him and his family to become undone before God. He robbed God, that God says. What God had made clear belonged to him, belonged in his treasury, Achan took to be himself. I don't know if you know this, but in the New Testament, Jesus told 38, I think it was, yeah, 38 parables, he told 38 parables, 16 of them address the area of money. To put it another way, one in 10 verses in the Gospels addresses money. Why? Well, let me use some of Jesus' words to tell you. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve God and money. And then one final bit where he says, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word of God, making us unfruitful. Do you know, money, according to the Bible, is an area where we can actually rob God in. In Malachi 3, God tells them that they are robbing him by not bringing in their tithes, just as Achan robbed God. Do you know, according to the Bible, he gives us everything, everything we have. And yet, according to the Old Testament principle, we're called to bring one-tenth of that back. So, i.e., he lets you keep 90% of what he's given you. He's given you everything, and you only have to give him a tenth back. Now, this is an area that, uh, uh, that I actually praise God for my Baptist upbringing. From a very little age, this principle was, was drummed into me. They were very gracious in every other area. This was a very legalistic uh, area. That even before I knew what tax was, I knew that I had to give one-tenth of my earnings uh, to, to, to God. And it was pre-tax, not, not post-tax. Like, okay, what's, what's tax? Uh, don't worry, you understand when you're older. And uh, so I thank God for that. So when I came back to God at the age of 16, I knew that, okay, God gets the first tenth of everything I've got, and then everything else finds its place around that. Now, those of you who are starting out on this Christian journey, actually the New Testament doesn't specify a particular uh, percentage. So start with what you've got faith for, but then look towards, you know, the 10% is a good place to aim for. Those of you who would count yourselves mature in the faith, then yeah, 10% should probably be roughly where you're at, as many theologians quite successfully 
demonstrate that actually it's a universal principle. We'll take it from the life of uh, the book of Genesis and the book of Hebrews and show that actually Abraham did this before the law even existed. And therefore, it's, it's a universal thing. But do you know what? I thank God, my friends, for teaching like Anna's dad gave when I first came back to the Lord. And he made it very clear that the whole emphasis of the New Testament is how much more have you received in Christ? Therefore, how much more should you give back to Christ in terms of your energy, in terms of your time, in terms of your effort, and in terms of your finances? And then Ken went on, my my father-in-law went on to talk about a man that he knew personally, who wasn't a rich man, but he gave away one-third of everything that he earned. And I wow, that just that blew my mind. And that caused me to think, forget, forget the Old Testament, just 10%. I'm going to start trying to live for the how much more. How much more have I got faith for? Do you know, the famous evangelist, John Wesley, the 18th century evangelist, you'll tell it was an 18th century living in the 1700s by the amount. He worked out that he could live on 28 pounds a year. And, so, and he earned 30 pounds, so he gave God two pounds. The next year, he earned 60 pounds, so he gave God 32 pounds. The next year, he earned 90 pounds, so he gave God 62 pounds. One year, because of how successful his ministry was, he earned 1,400 pounds, and he gave it all away except 30 pounds. He allowed himself a two-pound pay rise there. But my friends, there is somebody who has grasped the how much more principle of the New Testament. My challenge to us is, are you robbing God this morning, here, today? Are you being tight-fisted with God, just giving him the scraps of what you've got left after you spent it on everything else that you've got? Are you still loving, living under the old covenant and sort of, sort of happy with that? Oh yeah, I'm doing that. Or are you in the freedom of the new covenant of the how much more of God that you, that you have? Yes, it may limit where you live. Yes, it may limit what hobbies and what activities you can do, what you can afford to do. But it is storing up for you treasures in heaven, eternal treasures where moth and rust will not come in and thieves cannot take it from you. Assess your hearts is what I'm saying to you this morning, my friends. One in ten verses in the Gospels addresses the area of money because of the seductive nature of wealth. Don't let it seduce you too. Paul says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Just let those verses, that that verse soak in there and just assess your heart before we move on to my final point. God calls us to deal with our sin and then he calls us 
to be obedient to God. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. So Joshua 8 goes on. I'm just going to uh, pick out a few verses for you. So if you've got your Bibles open, you just, we'll just be uh, quickly jumping through Joshua chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2 says this. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. And if you jump on to verse 7, Joshua speaking to people says, Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. And then verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out, your, out the javelin that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city. And then jumping down into verse 27, says, After they taken the city, only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. And then on to verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel at Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourners as well as native-born, with their elders and officials and their judges, stood on the opposite side of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived amongst them. Do you know there's one major difference between chapter 7 and chapter 8? And that is the people of God were seeking God and being obedient to God's word. In the battle and as a corporate gathering as well, and we see the victory because of that. My friends, let's make sure that we as God's people are dealing with our sin and obey God fully in everything that he calls us to do. Everything that he's revealed to us in his word, the Bible, and everything that his Holy Spirit prompts us to do. Let's make sure we do that. Do you know, the great thing is, as believers, is that he doesn't leave us alone to do it in our own strength. He's given you 
his Holy Spirit who lives inside of you to help us, to give us the strength that we need to live for God and to do all that he's called us to. And it's in times like this when we gather together corporately to hear his word, to worship him, that he often pours out his spirit here amongst us to fill us and equip us. Do you know, I learned this fact uh, uh, two weeks ago, and I thought it's quite amazing, that the earth gets more energy from the sun in one hour than we need to power all our devices for a whole year. If we could just harness all that energy, we could power all our devices for a whole year. That's a lot of power, isn't it? That's uh, incredible. Jesus is the one who created the sun. And through his Holy Spirit, he gives us more power than we need to live the Christian life, to share our faith, and to be obedient to all the things he has called us to. He gives us power to stand against the tide of our culture that is running away from God, to stand up to it, and to even see it turn back to God as well as we're believing God's going to do. All the power you need is in Jesus. And he promises to be with you even to the end of the age, wherever you go. So my friends, let's draw upon the power that the Holy Spirit gives us and be obedient to his leading in your life, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in, in, your, in this town. Get plugged into things like uh, Christian Concern and Citizens Go and other things like that so we can get involved in a national uh, way as well and try and impact things going on in the nation for Jesus as well. Remembering that we're in this together as the family of God. It's a team effort and God has called us to be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you as you go and share the love of Jesus in Helsham and beyond by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. I'm just going to finish with this. God has called you and me to be totally devoted to Jesus with your whole heart. And how, and this is how, this is a key part of what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life and in my life. And how much we allow the Holy Spirit to do that will directly impact our effectiveness in the battle. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask you to come right now by your Holy Spirit. Come and move amongst us. Thank you that we can come into your presence as our Heavenly Father, as the one who loved us, as the one who loved us enough to send Jesus to the cross to die for us, the one who gave up everything so that we could know you that our future could be secured in you, Lord. But Lord, you're also 
a consuming fire. You're a holy God. You're an awesome God. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, thank you. This is an opportunity of grace here this morning, Lord. We're in a season of grace still, Lord God. And Lord, thank you. In your grace, you've just been challenging people here this morning, Lord God, afresh, Lord, to take sin seriously. If there's some of you here this morning and you know you've been struggling with a particular sin, a particular thought pattern, a particular activity, just in your hearts now, confess it before God. Ask his forgiveness in that area. He will forgive you. He is faithful as we confess our sins. He is faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Lord, thank you that with you there is forgiveness. And Lord, I pray you would help us to deal with these areas, Lord God, and to live fully for you, wholly devoted to you with our time, our energy, our finances, Lord God. May we not be sucked into the, the Western world's view on money and stuff like that, Lord. Deal with that in us, I pray, Lord. Help us to be kingdom-focused, Lord God, eternity-driven, Lord God. Come, Lord, do a work in each person here, Lord God. Have your way amongst us, Lord. Help us to be people that respond fully to all that you're calling us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And just, just keep uh, every head bowed and eyes closed at the moment. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus or you know that you're not in a good place with God where you've walked away and you realize, yeah, I need to get right with God. I realize as I was speaking, I, I can't do it on my own because you can't. You need Jesus. If you're here this morning and you want to respond to him and say, yes, I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to live for God. Can I ask you just to raise your hand and I'll pray with you here this morning or lead you in a prayer of surrender to God here this morning. Raise your hand nice and high and I'll lead you in a prayer. Just pray this in your, in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to go to the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done, said, and thought that are wrong. Please help me to live the rest of my life for you. Because I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.